All right. Good morning, everybody. Time for your Sunday morning coffee. Mary Byler here. I have Elon Zook and Jody with me today. Um, Jody is somebody that was born plain, has ties to both Amish and Mennonite communities. Her story is pretty out there as far as you can go with the plain communities. Anyways, say good morning, Elam. Good morning. Jody. Good morning. So uh, I, uh, in previous episodes, I have uh, played the reluctant grump. I, I, can, I can hear myself again. <laughs> you know, Elam, you're so technologically impaired. If you like. it's, it's not me. It's on your end. No, it's not. It's not? No. What's going on? Anyway, I'll, I'll see if I can muddle through this. Um, uh, which, which, in my defense, for being the reluctant grump, these are awful subjects. So um, anybody that comes on here and that is delighted to be here <laughs> should check their mental health. <laughs> really, but, dude? Are you calling us insane or something? <laughs> no, I don't know. Saying, are you I'm saying that nappy? <laughs> so that's the song? Stop it. This is my part here. <laughs> so so uh, anyway, that forced Mary to be the host and ask the questions. And, and you know, my ego is big enough to assume that I have the answers. But this morning, we're going to try to uh, create a little bit of a different format for a little bit. And I'm going to introduce Mary and I have a couple comments about the show. So uh, what I want to say about Mary is that she's a survivor. She is the kind of survivor who when she finally got the attention of the civic authorities, three of her immediate family ended up in jail. Two more were charged and got these sweetheart deals. But um, Mary survived that. It's worth pointing out that Mary's family wasn't the only one that let her down. There was a doctor who had evidence she was being sexually assaulted and failed to, to enact an intervention. And, and Mary survived that. Um, Mary's non-Amish neighbors confessed to her that after her case became public, that they knew some really bad stuff was going down and didn't call Child Protective Services. And, and, and I just want to say fuck you to those neighbors. <laughs> um, but uh, Ma Mary, again, survived that. Uh, even this minute, as Mary works to engage and address the issues, you know, the conditions that enabled her abuse to fester and flourish, she's maligned and marginalized and dismissed for suggesting that the Amish are anything other than perfect. The purpose of the work that we're doing, uh, uh, the point of this program is to make sure that Mary survives this too, that all of us affected by this barbarism survive. The reality of many plain community uh, abuse survivors, I hear an echo again, <laughs> is that, uh, similar to the survivor rates and issues affecting the LGBT community or, or other minorities, many of us won't make it. Don't expect me to back up my claim 
by referring to reputable studies because the savages overseeing the kind of sociological research that would identify the despair in our midst would rather pander to studies indicating our people's genealogical supremacy, despite all the evidence to the contrary. The reality is that in the face of all this savagery, many of us have been subjected to, some of us will die, and this monstrous indifference, as this monstrous indifference assails us generation after generation, it needs to be said that these are the conditions that produce extremism. Looking for an antidote to this nightmare we're trapped in is what this production is about. We are seeking a better way. Please join us. Please support us. And uh, to further my role as the host, <laughs> I have a question for Mary about shunning. Um, we're going to be talking about shunning this morning. And um, what I what a specific question I don't want to ask Mary is, is not her own shunning when she left the community, but uh, shunning is a tool used by the plain community as a form of discipline. And I want to ask Mary what, um, when she came to her parents as a child, and said, you know, this thing is happening to me, help me. And, and, and when she came to the church and said, you know, when her perpetrators were disciplined by the church, what happened? Um, and I'm just gonna quick make it a two-part question. Uh, there's this idea in the dominant culture that the Amish should, um, um, they should handle their own affairs. Oh, you mean like they should govern themselves? They and, have the ability to do that. And and, and this is this is uh, uh, the way this is reflected is um, prosecutors are actually uh, reflecting the will of their constituents when they um, when they are go easy on these plain community perpetrators because their constituents agree that the Amish should handle their own affairs. And, and my, my sort of two-part question to Mary there is, what, what would you say to those constituents? So I'll stop blabbing. And... Okay, well, so first off, let's talk about like how the Amish discipline kind of works. Um, so for example, Elam talks about like me going to my parents. So first off, I went to my parents um, multiple times with the abuse because this abuse went on for a period of over 15 years. And, you know, part of it was is that it was completely dismissed. I was blamed for it. Um, and then when I told, it got worse. And I can't say for certain because one of my perpetrators, I believe, was shunned for the abuse. But I can't say for certain because I wasn't a church member. I wasn't baptized yet. And and I remember him like having to eat separately and not being able to like have conversations or you know, we couldn't take anything from his hand and all of that. So yeah, he was shunned. But 
at the end of the day, like that made all of those things, like every time I told, every time I asked for help, every time I um, tried to make it stop, I was blamed. I was told that I should be glad I wasn't impregnated. I was told that it's my fault because I laughed too much or I laughed too loud or just all these other things. Um, and so the end result of that is, is before I left the community and, and like say ran away, um, I wrote a letter to the ministry in the church and they sat on the letter and I named each one of the perpetrators of the abuse. They did nothing. They did nothing until I went to civil authorities and pressed legal charges against them. And they did a complete investigation and had evidence that they could prosecute five people. They did nothing. And then they shunt them. And after they shunt them, um, you know, two of the perpetrators actually tried to jump bail and that's the ones who went to prison for sure. And I also want to point out that like when I was younger, like around 12 and 11 years old, I had told my egg donor about the rapes that were happening. And when I told her, it became a situation where if I locked my room door, somebody would climb in through my window. I was not safe anywhere. If I went to the outhouse, somebody was waiting for me in the shadows. This. This is what you're perpetuating. When you listen to the will of your constituents, you believe that they can govern themselves, which one, it's ineffective. Um, two, I want these constituents to know that Amish in America are still Americans. Plain people in America are still Americans. They are still subject to American law. They are not above the law and they do not have the ability to govern themselves. They do not have the skills, the resources, the tools, the education to even begin to help any of the victims, let alone trying to rehabilitate perpetrators of crimes. They don't have those things. And every time prosecutors elect to not fully prosecute or they give one, like in the case of the um, prosecutor in the Missouri case that just happened last fall, in that one, the prosecutor advocated for the perpetrators. He did an injustice, a gross injustice to a victim. And when you do that, you are part of the problem. You are complicit in creating an environment in America where abuse, murder, sexual assaults, physical abuse, mental abuse, all of those things are literally, there's a paradise that is, is created by doing that. You set the stage for these things to happen and then be like, I'll only get a slap on the wrist and then they get better at it. They get better at manipulating because after, after I told the threats were worse, I will kill you. I will kill all the whole family. I will do all of these things. That's so all your, 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 your abusers told you. So what are you supposed to, yes. 
what are you supposed to do as a victim when you reach out for help and that is the help you get? That's not help. And these people who are sitting here and giving them a slap on the wrist, they are complicit. They are setting the stage for abuse. The communities themselves do not have, again, they don't have the resources, the education, the knowledge. They don't have the tools to either help the victims or the predators. And that to me is horrifying. So it's also part of like, you're, you have this like predators playground that is exists in America and nobody cares about it because they put this playing communities up here on this pedestal and they think that they're amazing. And when you say something like this, they excuse it. They excuse it. Have the, you ever experienced that? The community that I come from, um, if you have the right name and you have the right amount of money, if you get arrested by the police, nothing happens. Doesn't matter what your infraction was or what you'd be charged with, nothing happens just because of your name and your money. And it's sickening. Do you think that helps the community or the victims in any form, shape, or way? Nobody cares about the victims because the victims don't have a voice, and that's why we're doing this. So we can get this out there and hopefully start a conversation about that. Well, and do you think that the plain communities can govern themselves? Do they have the ability to govern themselves, either Mennonite or Amish? Well, absolutely not. I don't believe they do. So what are your thoughts on why they don't have the ability to govern themselves? They, they don't have the same amount of ed education that most Americans do. I mean, everything that they are taught, you have to respect the, your abuser. I mean, even if you're not being abused, you still have to respect the hierarchy of your family and your church, and you can't go above that. You can't go outside that. So here's a question. Um, as far as like, do you think when you th say you don't think they have the ability to govern themselves and you have to respect, like, did, did your community also like to promote the idea that you have to forgive your abuser? And that means that you don't talk about it. And if you do talk about it, um, your sin is just as great or greater than what the sin was of the abuser. Oh, yeah, definitely. But everybody else can gossip about it. You can't talk about it but everybody right. else can gossip about it. They do this. It's behind the hands. Mm -hmm. They whisper behind the hands. Oh my God, did you hear that? Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Amish, Amish and plain communities gossip lines are insane. I have literally never experienced a gossip line mm -hmm. that is that effective. Yeah, and uh, gossip actually ruined one of my businesses that I had. And I was devastated just because people, they hear one thing and it's like playing telephone. Yeah, and it just gets out of control. So my question to you is, is like, where's your family shunned? Um, well, the community that I come from, it's pretty much shunning light. The family gets to decide if they're going to hold the bond against um, the people who are supposed to be shunned. And my mommy and daddy is on both sides, did not hold the bond against my family or uh, my aunts or uncles who left. I actually come from a pretty good family. But that being said, there are still psychological games and um, reminders of broken oaths all the time. And you're just made to feel small. 
and like you don't matter because you're not allowed to have a voice as a woman because mm -hmm. as a woman you can't read or comprehend the bible and you can't make decisions because you're a second-class citizen. Everything you do is literally ruled by the men in your life. So, I mean, personally, I've seen victims of sexual assault have the exact same disciplinary action as a church member, as their perpetrator of the sexual assault. What do you, what do you think about that? Like, did the shunning actually work? Is it have you ever heard of that? That the that the, the victim is guilty. What I, I think Chris is commenting there that um, they're blamed for tempting your your brother in Christ or something right. like that. And they punish you if you're a church member. Like when when my brother when my perpetrator, that's not my brother, when my perpetrator was shunned. I was not a church member because I was not baptized and I was not shunned per se, but like I got a spanking, you know, until submission, the way they always say. Wow. And, and at the end of the day, like it, it's the fact of like when you get disciplined for being violated, what the is that message you're sending you're sending a message to the victim that because you happen to be in a place in a position where somebody had the opportunity and was granted and first off like by the plain communities by the english communities around them by the justice system and by dhs all of these people have literally set the stage for you to be sexually assaulted and a, and a victim of physical assault, mental abuse, all of those things. And so what you had the misfortune of being born into that or being placed into that situation and now you are blamed. It is your fault that this happened. That's the message they're sending. Yeah, it's victim blaming because if you can push that off onto the victim, then nobody has to be held responsible. You have to make somebody feel guilty. So why not make the victim feel guilty? And then the other part that I want to point out to our audience is that even though they get shunned, they only get shunned for a period of time. And then they confess in front of the church. And they still, they still allow the perpetrators and the victims to stay in the same home. They don't even remove the perpetrators. More than likely, if they remove anybody, they're going to move the victim because the victim is enticing people to sin. Thank you, Mary. <laughs> I've been waiting a long time for, for, the, for this moment. And, and it's a very powerful thing. I, I, can, I can intellectualize this idea that, that you know, uh, these these sexual assault issues of children are, are are the plain communities like their Achilles heel. They they are just unable. It's their weakness. They can't address it. And and it doesn't mean nearly as much if if I just sort of spell it out and say it than than when an actual survivor describes it. And I, I I'd like to ask you, Jody. Um, part of my question to, to, to Mary was, you know, the issue is that um, these, these uh, 
uh, district attorneys, these prosecutors and, and, and judges, they're, they're elected officials. And part of the reason that they give these, uh, these light uh, sentences to plain community perpetrators is that their constituents, the people that elect them actually want that. They, they believe the Amish should have, should, you know, govern their own affairs. And, and my question to Mary was, what do you, what, what would you say to those constituents? Because um, we can yell and scream at the judges all we want or the prosecutors, but as long as they're doing the will of their constituents who put them in power, nothing's gonna change. So our, our, our task is to persuade those constituents to, to um, not want that. So, mm. so that at some point, um, a, a prosecutor running for office can accuse his opponent, his political opponent, of being too light on, on plain community perpetrators of sexual assault. And, and the constituents will care and vote for the guy who, 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 you know, has a campaign promise that I will prosecute plain community sexual predators just like they ought to be prosecuted. And so the, our task is to persuade those constituents. And, and my question to you is, what would you say to them? What, you know, what would you say to those people who believe the Amish should govern their own affairs? Well, I don't really know what I'd say, but the only thing that we could do is just show evidence of the horrendous crimes that happen inside the Amish church that don't get taken care of because the bishops or whoever, um, teleprosecutors or whoever's on a case, that they'll take care of it. They don't take care of it. There is no accountability. There needs to be accountability within the church and there is none. So why not take the power away from the church? And it needs to be governed like everything else in America. And another thing that I think needs to be implemented is sex education. Because if kids knew what sex actually is and they knew about their bodies, they'd know that it is wrong, that they don't have to put up with this. You have a choice. It is your body. Nobody gets to touch you. And if somebody does, you need to go to the authorities I mean, you can't, you can't trust most people in the church. So people need to know how to use their voice. And yeah, that, we've, that. we've talked about uh, safe touch um, and, and the need to, to, to teach that it needs to be taught. Uh, and, and the context that we talked about it in is some of, as we grow a little healthier in our traumas. We we're we're thinking of the people that are still abandoned, and 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 the effort to respond to that turns into a rescue operation. And and I've characterized it as a, you know, people are drowning in the river, and so we are going out to to rescue them. But but it's also important to to consider going upstream and figuring out why those people end up in the river. You know, why don't these children have flotation devices? Why weren't they taught how to swim? Why aren't there any lifeguards? You know, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, safe touch is one of those. Uh, I'm, I'm using an analogy or a metaphor or whatever, but, but safe touch is, you know, why haven't those people been taught, those children been taught safe touch? 
And and anyway, that's you make a, a very important point about um, sex education. So here's my question. Joe, did you, um, when you were growing up, like, did you know the names? Uh, the, the, did you speak Pennsylvania Dutch or some form of Dutch? Yes. Did you know the names of your private body parts, like va uh, vagina, etc.? Uh, I did because I went to English school. I went to public school. So I was lucky you. <laughs> you are lucky. But that so, is um, awesome. Well, my parents, they, um, they were in Rumspringa when they had me and they didn't get married until I was like four or five. And so I wasn't ever technically Amish and I went to public school, but I still got to experience shunning and all of that. I experienced all of it. And so I was in two different worlds dealing with two different things just in between. And, but yeah, I was, I was taught about sex education at school and I think it's very important. It is so important. It really is. Um, because at the end of the day, like I had no words for what was happening to me. And then like another thing, like the, the, um, when, when you talk about people that are born in, you know, they, they stay in that society and they don't go to public school. Like I went to a, a one-room schoolhouse. I had a teacher that had an eighth grade education and that's because of Wisconsin versus Yoder. But anyways, like going back to like that, like the, the lack of appropriate safe touch, non-safe touch education, there's also a, a lack of language around that. Um, most of the people that I have spoken to about it have told me that they did not know words for like their private body parts mm -hmm. in their language that they spoke inside of their community. There are even uh, Amish adults that don't know words to describe their parts. I mean, I work with a bunch of Amish men and they're absolutely disgusting. And they they don't even know the words for their parts in Dutch. They always use English words. So where's the disconnect there? Yeah. And then there's also the, the case of the case can be made that like um if you ignore it it doesn't exist. Yeah. Pretty much. They do that. They ignore that. Uh but anyways, let's kind of define what shunning is when you think about shunning. Like, what is shunning? I think uh, shunning is a way to isolate people and make them feel so alone and so small that they have to go back to what they know. Because if you were put out into the wilderness without any tools and you don't know how to go, go make a living in the world then you'll come back. That's, that's their plan. Yeah. But th this, so is, isolated. this is getting into the, the sort of the realm of Rumspringa, but um, when, when your only idea of what Rumspringa is, is to get drunk, um, that's not very appealing, especially after maybe the <laughs> the fifth time of doing it. Uh, 
and, and so if if that's your concept is to get drunk and party and do drugs or join the church i mean how how difficult of a choice is that uh, you know it, it may last for a little bit but but our um our concept of what um you know what this actual choice is about is is really distorted because it's actually not a choice anyway that's that's a little bit off topic but but shunning um you know shunning shunning is a part of anabaptist history from from the very get-go uh and what i I, i'd like to to just take a moment to point out is that um it was sort of on the books they 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 would they would sort of institute that that uh, shunning needs to happen and what how it played out is that the people basically said, yeah, we don't really like to do that. And, and sometimes I think <laughs> people's expression of how, how they try, choose to enact values is important. And, and that's the Anabaptist story is there always was this issue of how do we handle believers who don't conform? And I, I just want to make a point about this. Uh, after I became nonconforming, I joined um, the Unitarian Universalist Church. And over the years, it's been crime many items, almost 30 years since I left. But over the years, I, I became involved administratively. I, I served on their board and other sort of um, administrative um, committees and stuff. And I know that in my time there, the board created a policy to excommunicate people. And, and it was mostly about having the power to not let disruptive people influence church um, policy and, and, and stuff. But my point is, there's nothing wrong with people uh, setting a boundary of this is what we aspire to this is who who we want to be as a people and if you don't conform or show a a an interest in upholding those standards uh there's nothing wrong with making those those people non-members the the issue is is then uh shunning them that you know because that's what happens. What what happens with shunning with your brothers, Mary, is that shunning was used as a momentary disciplinary measure. If they confessed, they it was removed and they were full members again. Um, but shunning is not just uh, taking away a membership; it's punishing, and 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 it's it's. It's, it's a medieval sort of archaic practice that should never have survived the, you know, the centuries of, of our evolution of how we think about religion and God and, and stuff. And, but it has, and, and it's a unique, well, it's, it's not really a unique Amish problem, but the extent that the Amish and plain communities believe they are justified in this uh, in weaponizing shunning is is a problem. It's it's it, and it's a lot of the, the the sicknesses and dysfunction and trauma at the heart of 
of the plain community is directly tied to their sort of wild west uh, legitimacy to practice this 15th century ideology and and it they just need to freaking dial it back and and say you know what this was a thing that was a part of our history and you know <laughs> if, if you just give me another couple minutes here on this one of the things that is a major issue of the plain communities is uh, genetic uh, anomalies that affect, you know, it's, it's a broad spectrum of, of illnesses, some of them deadly, some of them just tragically debilitating. Um, and it's, it's because of the limited gene pool. And the reason for the limited gene pool is shunning. If, if, it, back in, in and, and, and it wasn't always this way. This is the important thing to remember. Shunning wasn't always instituted. It, it, it was sort of a part of their history, but much of that history, they said, yeah, we don't really believe in it and we're not going to practice it. And then some hard ass knucklehead comes along like Jacob Amon for, for one and, and, and made it a point of, you know, piety to institute it again. But, um, can I interrupt real quick? I have a yes, question. Yes, sure. go ahead. Um, in your communities, do they adopt children to fortify the gene pool? Because um, I know that something that happens happens around here is they adopt children into the Amish community. My great grandpa was actually adopted into the community. No. No. I don't know. That, that's a uh, child. That's, uh, it's not a big thing in in, in Lancaster. Uh, Lancaster is notorious for being a very difficult community to assimilate into, particularly okay. for adults. Um, there is some adoptions that occur. Uh, I, I, I would say that it's definitely not not uh, affecting the. My point was that these these children are you know drastically influenced by this and and the. The way to really solve that is, is it, it's a crisis. There's dozens and hundreds of children's effect, children affected by this. Some of them tragically, and and the way to respond to this health crisis, this humanitarian crisis, is to be honest about it, you know, and say this shunning business has isolated and and restricted our gene pool to the point where it's really wrecking havoc. And we need to institute um, policies and values that rebut that and, and that increase our gene pool. And, but nobody's talking about it. And, and, and particularly the Clinic for Special Children here in Lancaster County, they have the science of to, to persuade. Because there's, there's scientific issues. One of the really big questions is, is is the problem of genetic anomalies increasing? The, the population is increasing, so of course the number of affected children is increasing. But is it, but is, is it increasing uh, per capita? And if it is, that's like a hair on fire important problem to, to know. Because at some point, if, that, if it is increasing, and depending how fast it is increasing, we're going to end up with entire hospitals filled with 
with plain community children with uh, genetic anomalies. And now is the time to think about that and, and, and start a, a, a program of, of responding to that by increasing the gene pool. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and, and, and that, Which that is- issue is directly tied to their practice of shunning. Take shunning away, poof people would broaden their horizons. Mm -hmm. And and that would be a good thing, particularly as it relates to genetic anomalies. When you say that shunning is like directly related to the, you know, lack of gene pool, it's because like, for example, so when you're shunned, nobody's supposed to hand you anything. They're not supposed to take anything from you, especially not money. Like they can't, if like, for example, um, you know, you have a baby, you have a child, right? That is, you're, you're outside of the community or you're shunned and you have a child and you're holding the baby and you were to try to hand that baby to somebody that is not shunned, they would require you to lay down the baby on a different object like a bed or a crib or something like that. And then they would go and pick up the baby because they can't take something from your hand. The conversations they're supposed to have you, they're supposed to admonish you to return to the ways of thy youth. And another thing is if you're a business owner and mm-hmm. you, come down, you lose your employees, you lose your income, you mm-hmm. end up losing your house. If you have your house through the church, I mean, you lose everything yep and you're also like not supposed to like people talk about the setting the separate table where they can't sit at the table and eat together like again like that's 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 a form of isolation but it also tells the person like you're lower than dirt which is (laughs) extremely unhelpful when you're talking about (laughs) victims of sexual assault like i'm sorry but i'm not the dirt behind beneath your doorstep you're not going to treat me that way That's just a fact. One of the things that I've, I've thought about it is that there, there was a, a, a big part of Amish identity was created in the, the, the 1860s when almost 75% of the Amish um, over the course of a generation or two left. They became, largely became Mennonites. And, and um, in that sort of process, um, there was actually uh, a humility that came with um, with shunning. In that, uh, a person could be with a conservative group and 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 move to a more progressive group, and and, and then to another progressive group, and then be completely leave all of Anabaptist Christianity, and never get shunned. And and I think that was a good thing. It's a release valve. It's 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 a way like me. You know how beautiful my life would have been if I if I if I could have gotten out of the situation that I was in without getting shunned. Still still maintaining those family connections, just not being quite so fucking medieval about it. Well, here's and and I, anyway, I, I just want to point out that that it was. There, there was a time when shunning was, you know, it was practiced with some degree of reticence and, 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 and some churches said, we're not going to do it. And then in 
in the you know 1930s 1950s it sort of came came back with a vengeance and 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 they started priding themselves on practicing it and and it became this really hardcore thing where you couldn't leave a church and join another Amish church if your bishop if you weren't in good standing with your bishop and it created this really medieval iron grip on people which uh, again it's this is it's it's destructive for this sort of social evolution that's needed around these issues like sexual abuse. If, if people could just have a little bit more autonomy and agency to, to orchestrate their lives in a way that they feel is healthy, some of this sickness um, would, go, would not be so powerful. Well, so here's a question that I have for both of you is like when you talk about the shunning and you're talking about the long term effects, like, for example, um, so I have a child that is absolutely affected by shunning. And the reason I say that is because shunning for ex my child wanted to meet some of the Amish relatives that we have. And I took my child there and I let them know that they would the child would like to meet them and they absolutely refused to even say hello to my child. My child was never Amish. My child was never inside the community, had nothing to do with them, but is related to them by blood. And they absolutely shunned my child as if they were a church member and baptized into the church and born into the church. Yeah. Same here. I have that same issue with uh, my boys. They do not exist at all. And do you think that's psychologically damaging? She's like second generation. Um, oh, it definitely is. Um, I've had to talk my boys through what it means and, you know, why it happened. And my boys have come to the point where they no, no longer believe in religion because they see how toxic it's been. They, they've asked, Mom, how can somebody that we're related to not want to see us just because they believe in a God? And that's a really hard question to answer. And so I've let them kind of figure things out on their own just because that's how children learn is yeah. experiencing things. And they don't believe in a God just because of the way they've seen me treated and my family members treated the way they've been treated. And it's horrific that second generation has to go through that. Um. That's pretty horrifying. But yes, I had to explain what shunning was to a very mm -hmm. young child because, you know, they also, my child realized that, you know, on their, on one side of their family, they have grandparents, they have aunts, uncles, cousins, etc. And on the other side of their family, there's just nothing. And they realized that at a really young age. And so like, I feel pretty bad about it sometimes that I don't provide a friendship for my kid. It's just not so shoot. It's not your children's fault, and it's not your fault either. This is the the outcome of when a community decides to do that. And the other thing is, is like there's a lot of people who her like the shunning and all of that like what happens around the holidays what happens psychologically 
even if everything in their life is good, at the end of the day, they're still cast out from their family. They're still not invited to the family Christmas gathering or the family Thanksgiving gathering. And, you know, interestingly enough, it's been exactly around six years and one month that I received the last conversation from my egg donor. And here's why we never spoke again before she died. In her letter, she wrote me that she um, had a really nice Thanksgiving and named two of my perpetrators that came over to her gathering for Thanksgiving. And it was so wonderful. And there's no hope for my soul. And I kind of said, I will never put myself in that or open myself to that kind of conversation again. Because that was extremely hurtful. It was very much victim blaming. And it was almost like she was rubbing my nose in it. That the perpetrators of my abuse are welcome in her home. They are accepted within the community. And I am cast out. And when I went to my brother's funeral, they sent 12 men out to escort me off the property because it's my fault that the perpetrators of my abuse went to fucking prison. That's not my fault. But that's what happened. And that's how the community treats them versus how the community treats me. It's that's, horrifying. That's some bullshit. Well, um, in my situation, my family, I have, I've come from a really good family. They, everybody loves each other. We're all invited to Christmases and Thanksgivings and stuff. But um, the reason my, my son doesn't get to see the other side of his family is because I decided not to be a part of a toxic relationship with somebody from the Amish community. Oh, my. And the gossip and the threats ruined me. And just, it, I still can't wrap my mind around why that would happen to somebody who's not even a part of the church, never went after the church. And still, if you do something that they don't agree with, if you don't marry your abuser or have a relationship with them, you're the person that's in the wrong. And that's really hard to deal with. Well, it's it's sad because it's almost like you're you're in a similar situation. Like it, it it's literally like you're guilty by association. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly like, what it is. And and your child is the one who suffers the most. It's not even about you and that person that you had a toxic relationship with. It's about the fact that at the end of the day, your child is the one that is also suffering from that. And children are very impressionable. Their brains are still developing until like what is it like they're an adult, like seriously. Like they're they're learning. And when people treat them that way, they're they're psychologically damaging these children in a way to show them that they're not good enough. They're nothing. Yeah. I 
exited or relinquished my compliance status when my kids were um, 10 and seven and five or something like that. And, and, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly how much it affected them, but, but it, it really did leave a mark uh, to, to some degree that they have mentioned about just that, you know, one of the, one of the first things is, is in the beginning, I, I did this really slow sort of exiting. And, and so I went to, with you know my my then wife and our kids went to a family christmas dinner and of course i had to sit at a separate table it was just this tiny table and my two my two sons sat with me and and i was kind of you know i knew that was going to happen long before it happened but but i i was just kind of keep my head down this is how it's going to be and and but but it literally left the mark on them and and i i can't speak for them exactly what that was but um it's it's no it's no joke and uh if if you guys will give me a, a liberty I, i'd like to talk a little bit about my shunning which i i we, we've discussed this a little previously on the sh uh, before the show that that um I was an apologist and, 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 and tried to defend the Amish uh, around shunning. And my shunning was, you know, it was shunning. Uh, but to just to give you an example of, of, of one of the things that happened is once I stopped going to church, eventually, you know, the ministers came around and I didn't engage with them. And so I wasn't in our home district uh, where my family was. So my brother, at some point, my brother came to visit with his wife and and we we talked and i before he left i i don't know if i got on my knees but i begged him to let me go to release me don't 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 try to hold me back just let me go and he he couldn't and he told me he can't do that and at my mother's funeral at the graveyard he came up to me and and said, I'm ready, I have released you. And that, that meant something, you know, th there was still the formal shunning and he was probably stepping outside of what was appropriate for him as a, you know, somebody that's supposed to uphold the values. But anyway, I just wanted to say that that happened that, and that it wasn't, all this harsh medievalness but one of the things that happened with with that is i then became an apologist and and defended the amish and we talked we used the term uh what was the terms uh for when when a prisoner sort of likes their <laughs> stockholm syndrome stockholm syndrome. syndrome and and that's what it was um and you know, as I've processed these issues and I've, you know, I've been a part of um, a class where we studied um, the Amish in, in, in college and, and um, I've come to terms like this, this, this shunning thing is just no good and, and I should not be, because I, it, at that point, and, and even now, I'm mature enough to sort of survive and create, um, 
family of my own that's not blood family and and i and i can kind of cope but uh what's the problem with that is that not everybody is in that position there's young people there's there's people who don't have that luxury of of being mature enough or or whatever term you want to use and and they're abandoned and if i if i pretend oh it's cool i'm cool it's it, I'm abandoning them them too, and and so I I came around to recognizing I need to speak up about this. And, and uh, I just for, wanted to say that for anybody watching, if you no longer have friendship and you need a family, I'm willing to be your family. I mean, this is a community. We're trying to reach people who are alone, and. I am willing to be that family for you. Yeah, I think that's a very important thing that, and, and it partly has to start with like me recognizing that I'm part of the problem, but that when I defend the Amish around shunning and make light of it, um, that's alienating those, those vulnerable people who need somebody in their corner. Mm. Yeah, it is. And, same goes for me, what Jody said about being branched We are all in this together. Um, I know that for me, I have a pretty pretty good support system nowadays. It's kind of amazing. Um, but there's always room at the table for others who have experienced this type of shunning. Um, I also know that there is a for example, there is a big lack of discussion around like LGBTQ Amish people or plain people. And there is a Facebook group that is specifically for them. Um, I will put the link in the comments for you. Another thing is, is when you talk about the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, I've put a link in the comments to that. I, I want and I challenge each of you to think about the universal declarations of human rights and ask yourself, like, did your plain community violate any of these rights? Did you have anything to say about that, Joe? Um, yeah, I, I went through the rights and I mean, there's, there are a lot of, a lot of them that were violated in the community that it, community that I come from, but there were six major ones. And Article 20 says no one shall be compelled to belong to an organization. You do not have to be strong-armed into being Amish. You don't you shouldn't have to feel like this is your only choice. And Article 18 you have the right to change your religion or belief whenever you want to. And that is a universal human right to be able to leave a religion, go to a different religion, or not have a religion at all. And you should not be reprimanded for doing that. It's illegal. Can I just jump in there? What, what's so problematic about that is the United States government is complicit in, in, in enabling these this religious authoritarianism and and uh, the court ruling wisconsin versus yoder is an example of that they they they're on the side of the religious extremists and you know it's completely it's one thing if 
if there's some religious extremists, but if there's a community around them that doesn't really buy into it and works as a, a, a um, an antidote to that. But the problem with many of these cases like Mary and, and just so many, myself included, I just very recently realized that I have childhood memories that can only be interpreted that I was sexually assaulted by a chiropractor. And I have almost no memory of it. Uh, it's just these patched together memories. He, he drugged me. And, and so I, I have no experience of the actual, um, or, or, you know, anyway, I'm not going to get into those details. But, but the, the, the thing that really affects me is that my memories also indicate that my parents didn't do anything about it in terms of, you know, making sure this guy is outed, that he can't practice. And, and that's, that's some horrifying stuff. And, and there's this, there's this ethos, this collaboration of, of abandoning these, these, these people and, and, and our, our government is complicit in it. And they are, their highest values of our government is to not do that. They're not supposed to prop up a religion and, and yet they are. And so I, I, I'll just stop with that. Well, I mean, we're almost at time, Elon. So should we break the news up? Probably more than likely next week, we're going to be talking about Shunning again because there's still a few more things to talk about. A lot of things to unpack. Yeah. But in the same token, this is a really heavy topic for a lot of us, and I don't feel right ending it um, that heavily. You're going to tell a funny story, Mary? I mean, I'm wearing my funny shirt. <laughs> it just sounds gay, okay? <laughs> you got a funny story? No, I can't tell jokes. I mean, I, I butcher them. I just, I start with the punchline. It's a mess. Don't ask me. I heard your it. wife say you're not as funny as you think you are. Oh, my goodness. You had to bring that up. <laughs> That's what you get. <laughs> you think he's funny, Joe? Um, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> See, somebody's at least marginally on my side. <laughs> marginally on your side? Yeah, I take it, whatever I can get. Oh. Well, you know, I really like this coffee cup. Girl boss. It makes me happy. Are we showing off our coffee cups? Here's mine. Yeah, let's show our coffee cups. Right. What you what's got? The, what's that say I'm on there? Uh, Deathwish uh, coffee. coffee. Oh, she likes the real strong coffee. <laughs> it's strong. It's it like really the hair on your tits. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I have to shave my face afterwards. It's so strong. Okay. The hair just falls yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Well, wow. thanks. Thanks, uh, everybody. Um, well, thank you. Thank you. Time is time is ticking down. If you got a one-liner, you can still fit it in. 
I got all, a one-liner. All of my jokes are inappropriate, so I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I just want to put it out there that, you know, we're coming back next Sunday. We're going to talk about more shunning stuff because here's the thing. Shunning is a huge, huge issue. Um, there are people that literally commit suicide over shunning, and that's why it's so important. God damn, man, I thought we were going to keep it light. I was trying to. I just can't help myself. <laughs> yeah, suicide, drug addiction. Yeah, it's... It, it's... Yeah, we need to have these conversations. I'm really thankful that Joe and Elam came on the show. They both shared their perspectives. I appreciate you guys. I couldn't do it without you. Thank you. And on that note, it's time. Have a good Bye. day, everybody. Bye. Bye.